0: So I found that I myself was kind of bored in synagogue. And if the rabbi is not really feeling it, then what's the hope for, for, for the others that you're trying to attract to this, to this place? And I kind of realized that, you know, Judaism wasn't meant to be just a synagogue world.
1: This is for the others out there, the other ambitious people who want to play at a higher level in their life. It's time to get curious and get real. Join me together, let's find the others. Hey, you beautiful human beings. Welcome back to another episode of Find the Others podcast. Joshua Church, your host here. Today, we've got a juicy conversation on tap with none other than Rabbi Daniel Bortz. Rabbi Dan's a great friend and a mentor of mine as well. He grew up in San Diego, and his spiritual search led him to Jerusalem to dive deeper into the meaning of life and embarking on the six year journey of studying biblical and Jewish mystical teachings and becoming a rabbi. He then came back and founded Soul X, which is an organization offering experiential events for adults that foster deeper soul connection. He's a published author, offers immersive transformational coaching always is putting on various networking and community events, and he's just straight up a cool guy. We dive a lot into his story of his spiritual awakening, explore the origin and true meaning behind some common Jewish customs and practices that shed a whole new light on them, talk about spirituality, religion, happiness in today's day and age. Whether you're Jewish or not, you will think about spirituality and religion differently after this conversation. I learned so much. So without further ado, please welcome Rabbi Dan. Beautiful. How we feeling? Thank God, man. Doing great. Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Back in Encinitas. It's great to have you here in the spot in Encinitas. This is my place,
0: man. I really feel at like my best and best vibes when I'm in Encinitas of all places in the city. So I love it. I love yeah. it. How and you grew up in San Diego, right? Grew up in San Diego, born in, in Cape Town, South Africa, but came here as a as a baby. And um and only really explored the city more recently in my life. When I was younger, I wasn't really going all over the place, stayed in my area. So it's yeah. nice to discover new spots like this.
1: Yeah, big time. I feel like there's a really cool community here in Encinitas and there's like a lot of young professionals who are very conscious in what they're doing and also um, getting things done too. It's a very different vibe from when I was up in in LA and Santa Monica. And it's, it's, it's a cool little shift up.
0: You actually reminded me of a story. So about two years ago, I was in, um, better buzz, one of our favorite coffee shops. And I always have just good things happen to me there. And I'm sitting there and I just had the, the, kind of vision or the dream to create uh, an experiential Jewish organization that would really be relatable to our generation and 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 be in nature and music and I had all these ideas I'm sitting there and who walks by and says hello is your sister Nina Hi. she's like we just moved back to town and we're looking for something for for you know young Jewish professionals and I was like you're my CEO and we're gonna create this right now and uh, it led to a great you know partnership she you know helped me along as I created soul X my my organization and I always thought is it the place so to speak that brings you know a good vibes to and 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 good synchronicity to things happening or the way i kind of look at it is if you feel good in a place if the place helps bring out of you that optimism and that trust and that enthusiasm and like good things are going to happen that can lead to the good things coming to you, which I really do believe in. So it's a mixture
1: of the two, but I yeah. do believe
0: in being in places that bring out that that inspiration in you.
1: I love that; it's so true, and that's really cool to hear. So the inception of Soul X came from Better Buzzed here, right down the street, and the church family, and the church family, and my Always. sister. Yeah, that's very very cool. So like, tell me a little bit more about that. So it, this the seed, this idea came to you. You're a rabbi, obviously. You were a rabbi at the time. Yeah. And what led to that? I mean, what led to that? inception of wow maybe there's a way to to make this more experiential where did that come from
0: so i found that i myself was kind of bored in synagogue and if the rabbi is not really feeling it then what's the hope for 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 the others that you're trying to attract to this to this place and i kind of realized that you know Judaism wasn't meant to be just a synagogue world it was supposed to be part of your life and and everywhere that you go and and finding meaning and connection everywhere and where i found it was more alone in nature, in um, in sensory experiences, whether it was, you know, music festivals or, or, you know, walking by the beach and finding my connection to God there. So I said, why can't we find a way to uh, bring the principles and the wisdom and inspiration of Jewish wisdom, Jewish teachings, but change the way in which it is being expressed. So not dilute whatsoever the ancient wisdom and practices, but find ways to uh, to bring them through a medium that can reach everyone. Like, you know, any teacher uh, who doesn't have the right words to give it over, it could, it could be a Nobel Prize winning professor of physics, but if he doesn't have the ability to translate it to the students, it's unfortunately missed out. And I feel like that's happening for our generation. And that's been kind of my goal for the last few years is how can I create mediums to bring what I find to be very powerful and very beautiful, uh, but bring it to 2020 and bring it to maybe people that aren't, finding that
1: in, in the, the the synagogue life. I love that. It's just, it's translating or repackaging, repurposing the same, the same wisdom, the same thing, which is, which is consistently done over time. Like I see it all the time in the, in the coaching space that that, that I'm in. It's like, the stuff that Tony Robbins is teaching or Jack Canfield is no different than, than their teachers that they learned from, right? Mm. The, the W. Clement Stones of the world or their mentors, um, you know, the seven habits of highly effective people. And the thing that I've loved about reconnecting with Judaism and studying the Old Testament, studying the Torah, is that it all seemingly comes from that same place of like there's this book that's been around for, what, 4,000 years yeah, and 3000 3, 3, years and it's still being observed or practiced. There's got to be something here, right? There's got to be something. So uh, have you found that also? Is have you been connected to that Yeah, in that way? you made me think of a story. So a few years ago I was with a group that was servicing
0: at Coachella Music Festival. We were servicing um, you know, guests that wanted to come and it was a Shabbat tent. So it was for the Sabbath. We had food, drink. And at the time I was like this is so new age, this is so unique. And then I thought back and why this is very apropos to this conversation is every week is a different Torah portion. And this week is the Torah portion that we read about Abraham. And what Abraham and Sarah, his wife, did was they opened up a tent in the middle of the desert. Maybe there wasn't, uh, you know, Odessa. Or, there was no <laughs> there was no DJs playing, but who knows? Uh, they might have some music, some violins and stuff. And, uh, and they had guests and they had philosophical conversations and they had food and drink and they sat together and they looked at the stars and they talked about life and wonderment. And that is what I feel like it's like full circle. We're coming back. And you see it in society too. You see, you know, we look at tribes, ancient tribes as like this kind of archaic thing. And yet in our society today, we crave that. We crave being part of a tribe and a group where we each play a role and we each can support each other. So like you said, I think whatever's true in in humanity or in history is something that will play itself out in every generation. How it expresses itself may be completely new, and we might even circle back to the way it always was. So mm.
1: It's been interesting, for sure. I love that. So where are you in this process right now of, of translating it, and how do you feel like our generation, what do you feel like connects best with the expression of this ancient wisdom to our generation now? Mm. I have... Every event I've done or everything I try to do is to do two
0: things. One is to connect us deeper with ourselves, with our, what I believe is our soul and who we really are underneath all the layers we put up for the public. And then to connect to each other deeper as well. And I think they they depend on each other. If you have an event where uh, it is a cocktail event and it's a, a singles event and it's something where like everyone's asking what each other do for a profession, you, go, you don't go deep in yourself. And therefore, when you connect to others, it's kind of staying surface level. So I believe through bringing people to a deeper place, we will connect to each other in a deeper way as well.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: uh, maybe we can... Uh, Pause for the train. You know what's cool? It's almost like a good interlude.
1: It is. It's a yeah. sick interlude. Yeah, I always, I love, there's a train going on in the background. I'm probably going to keep this in because this is all a good conversation anyway. <laughs> love it. Um, and the mic, shout out to the technology that picks up really high quality audio. But I always use it during the day. Like if I'm on Zoom calls or something like that, I always use it or I'm just getting work done. I use it as a time to like stop and take a deep breath. Just like it's a great reminder to just like pause for a sec and like come back to the present moment, take a deep breath and then for a few seconds and then it's gone, we can reapply it's ourselves. it's such a good analogy
0: for life, the idea that we're on a journey and it has, it's gonna have stops. Like the in the Torah, there's 42 stops on the journey if you count mm. them. Of life, the journey of life. So the mystics say the Torah is encapsulating that in every person's personal life, we also have 42 stops. It might not mean 42 geographical stops. It could mean stages of your life, relationship. Phases. Phases yeah. of growth um so i think the train is definitely uh good that's good really interesting
1: do you know what stage you're in or what stop oh, you're in <laughs> i can definitely pinpoint maybe a few yeah yeah where what's, i would say what's this an is example? definitely a new fate right where, where what would you say like one of an like, example of that is
0: i would say you know uh when i was about 16 i had a uh my first ever i think really authentic spiritual experience that woke me up to like oh wow like there's so much beyond my life. There's yeah. so much more out there. And I think that was definitely embarking on a new a new path from then onward.
1: What uh, was that experience?
0: Yeah, I was uh, I'd gone through a lot in my short little time post uh, Bar Mitzvah, post 13 14 15. I was, you know, getting into all types of mischief and trying to find myself as we all do. And uh, I felt it was a Friday night Shabbat. I went to pray just dutifully to support my my father at the synagogue. And during the silent prayer, uh, Amida, I felt a, a, like a, it's like almost like a tug, like a pulling towards something more, kind of like a piece of metal might feel to magnet mm. that's far away where you feel this draw towards something more. And I think since then, my whole life has been, uh, how do I translate that experience into? Um, it's something I've chased after, but also try to draw down into my daily living and my daily practices.
1: So it's been that moment onward. I think was definitely a shift. That's so cool. S- Sixteen seems pretty young. like that. That's a pretty ripe age for that to stick and to happen. I had a similar experience, but it wasn't until my you know early twenty maybe I was twenty. That's also yeah, twenty one. Yeah, true. Very very true. And it happens to people at different time. I think a lot of people listening can relate to that idea of having some sort of experience that kind of just turns the lights on in a way where you're just like, hold on, I think there's more going on here. And that's the whole purpose of what I'm doing here with the Find the Others podcast and this Find the Others movement is this tribe of people that are waking up to that in in, in a very similar way. So uh, that's really, really interesting to me. 16.
0: Yeah. And and I, it's a big principle when you learn in, in in Jewish mysticism that that God gives us a Uh, We call it first light, second light. It gives you that first inspiration to show you the general path that you could go on if you decide to. And then you decide if you want to take that and you're going to have to build through your effort to a place where it becomes internalized and part of you, which is what we call the second light, which is maybe less uh, flashy less uh wow but it is um you're reaching the same feeling in a way it's more settled and more integrated and you can apply this to everything the stories in the torah where the jewish people are taken out of egypt through miracles and 10 plagues and splitting of the sea and then they traverse the desert without any revelation and, and starving for water. And then they're given the the Torah on Mount Sinai, divine revelation, and then they're in the desert for 40 years. Then they enter the land of Israel, but then they have to fight wars. It's this up and down thing that applies in everything we do. Um when you get married, you know, the the, the first time you met uh, you know, your wife or, or, or husband, it's that first light. It's that maybe excitement of that romance time, but it's not going to be forever. We all know that it's something you're going to have to take and you have to take that little push and you can build it into something real. So the second light is less uh overwhelming in a way, but it is it is more real. It is something that's been grounded and planted in the ground and grown and settled. But thank God for the first light because if we don't have that whisper calling to us to follow a certain um life path or a certain mission, I don't know if it's enough that we just arrive to it on our own. We can but it really helps to have that that glimpse at what's
1: possible. Did you know in that with that first light that you wanted to be a rabbi at that time did you know before then what what when did that come for you?
0: Yeah, yeah, not at all. I think uh even after that first light experience I definitely went through high school uh you know 16 17 18 um pursuing I guess what the world had to offer so to speak and in in tandem with that trying to learn what that feeling was and what that was about. Um and I was always idealistic. I always was like wanting to go all the way with something I found to be true. But I wouldn't say at that time yet, I knew that this was something that was going to lead to my life's path at all. I think that's something that came uh, years later. When did that come for you? So my first year in college at UC Santa Barbara, I uh, really started to grow spiritually and I knew that I wanted to pursue it in a serious way. So the next year I went to Jerusalem and studied full-time in a in a yeshiva, which is mm-hmm. a place of of studies of of Torah. Um and even then I think I knew this was going to be a big part of my life, but to become like a rabbi and everything, I think that was more like a few years
1: into yeshiva where I was got it. Sorry. So, yesh- yeah. yeshiva is the is this is like a school where you go study and learn more about the Torah, more about Judaism. Is that right? Totally. Like, if you think of those like uh in like social
0: network or like those coding programs where they're on a race to get to the thing, yeah. that's like every day. Like, yeshiva is like literally all day you're sitting and working on ideas and philosophy and you're asking questions. Like, my whole life for about five, six years, was, was fully immersed in intellectual inquiry and spiritual growth. There wasn't, I didn't have my, my phone, laptop, Instagram hadn't come out yet. I was just kind of fully immersed, which I'm very thankful for. Yeah. So the distraction was so little. I, I had almost no distraction whatsoever. And I was it had the most brilliant minds around me and people that had clearly worked on themselves over decades. And, uh, you know, I thought if I want to learn what this feeling is and what this calling is. Why not ask the tradition um, of the sages, dating all the way back to Moses, who spoke to God face to face, so to speak. Someone who had prophets and those that experienced divine revelation. Why don't I learn from from them how to uh, grow in this in this direction? What better
1: way to do it? And how has that led you? Like has that led you well? Are you are you satisfied with what you've uncovered going fully deep into that? Yeah, you know, um, you got to stick. You got to
0: stick with it because I think. I'm relearning things that I've been learning over the last 10, 15 years and learning them completely in a new light. Because whether it's your mind progressing, your actual brain growing, whether it's uh, going over material again and again, whether it's life experiences that help you, I just think as you mature and as you grow, you start to see um, these ideas in a much deeper way. And I, you know, when people say, wait till you're 40 to study Kabbalah and things like that, I kind of laughed at it. And now I kind of get what, they, what, what the meaning is behind that. Because It's very easy to materialize and make physical these analogies and these ideas. Ten maidens walked across ten rivers. And you start to think of imagery, God's light. And you start thinking about um, Song of Songs by King Solomon is very much romantic imagery. And Kabbalah is very much like—and you realize like these are all analogies. These are all trying to—like guideposts that are guiding our physical— almost I would say physical minds, because the mind sees things through the body and and sees the physical world and helps you see it through the eyes of your soul and starts to uh, they say in Hebrew "mashit minagashmut," which means to remove the physical layers of of thinking, and to start to almost with your mind's eye sense the wisdom that was being that the, the rabbis were trying to express through these analogies and and examples.
1: Very cool. So that's the way that you view the stories in the Torah and these different psalms and these different stories and teachings is through that lens, and and and, and that everything has a layer past that. You yeah. know, you're reading about Joseph. You're reading about Judah. You're reading about Moses. Yes, they exist existed, but they symbolize something far deeper. And I think that's something that, it always tripped me up and I think trips a lot of people up. You're like, okay, like this is some mythical made up story. Like what value is this for me? But what I, when I started studying with my rabbi, my Chabad rabbi in college, he, I sat down with him and he's like, the God that you believe in, quote unquote, I don't believe him in him either, right? Like this idea that you have. Right now, as I was explaining to him, is like I don't I don't share that belief either. Everything that you've learned in Judaism up till this point is one plus one equals two. There's algebra, there's layers to this thing, right? Isn't there an idea that life is about like unlearning? Like yes. there's
0: I think that's a big part of it. A big part of, of 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 spiritual growth and 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 Judaism and is to unlearn what you know society, culture, European art depictions of what, you know, who God is. Uh, Dante's Inferno that I read in 11th grade or 10th grade, like, you know, I think it's an immature version. And in every other subject matter, we go deeper. We don't satisfy ourselves with second grade math or third grade English. We progress. When it comes to religion, most of, much of the world stays at what they had to learn when they were in elementary school about God. And then in their forties and fifties, they're like, oh, that's so silly. Like you said, I I don't believe in that. It's like, I don't either. I mean, that's, of course, God isn't this, this being in the sky that is angry at us and is strict. And like, it, I almost think like when I think, and I have to unlearn this all the time because I'm very hard on myself. So I make God in that image. I say, oh, God must be even more hard. If I'm hard on myself, he must be. And then I think if my if I treated my parents that way or someone who loved me in that way, thinking that all they wanted was to be exacting on me and strict on me, I think it would be a disservice to them. It's almost cruel to God to think of this infinite divine being as uh, this um, judgmental, strict being only because it's 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 he's like no I'm, I'm not like that like it, it's yeah. almost a cruel thing that we do so it's very important to to grow and unlearn some of these ideas for sure
1: fascinating how do you, what's your relationship like with God you believe do you believe in God what's your relationship like with God how do you see God how do you view God there, there's an interview
0: on on YouTube with Carl Jung and Carl Jung funny enough later in his life he said that the Maggid of Mezrich who was a student of the Balshemtov the founder of the Hasidic movement that I'm very much into. Uh, he said he he was Makoven. He he had all the ideas that I got into later. Like Kabbalah is all about uh, divine archetypes and all this stuff that Carl Jung very much um, overlaps. And when he was interviewed on, you can see it on YouTube, he says, "Do you believe in God?" And he smiles and he says, "No, I know." He says, "I know God." And for me, it's kind of like that. I, I think uh, th- we can discuss in Muna and belief what that what that is. But for me, it's something I've experienced. I've studied rationally, so we can talk about that as well, but I've also, it's something that I've, it's part of my uh, daily, um, it's a daily living relationship. Like you would have with another person, I feel I have with this being. It's something I feel, it's something I sense, it's something I work on, Um, I communicate, and God doesn't communicate back in the way that we expect as humans, like hearing a voice, but I feel the communication coming back in experiences that happen to me, in things like insights and clarity that I get out of nowhere that reminds me that, that, that there's another voice on the other side. Um, I, I recently talked to a friend who works in an emergency uh, room ward in, uh, in New York, and someone clinically died. And, you know, you hear about these NDs, near-death experiences that I'm interested by, but, you know, you hear about them, you don't know. She asked him, like, what did you experience? And he's like, I can't put it into words, but I can tell you I had a complete sense that everything happens the way it's meant to, which, you know, at the time of this uh, of this recording with with the election and everything going on in America, it's important to remember that point. You know, I'm really into chess, and I was thinking about how, um, you know, we get so fixated in this culture on who's the king and who's the queen of the board that we forget the one playing the pieces. You know, we're, we're, we're so into who's going to be the king of, of America or the queen, but I always believe there's a bigger plan at play. Uh, and, um, for me, my relationship with, uh, with Hashem, with God is, um, it's everything for me. It's integral in, in everything that I do. Perfect timing, right on cue. There's God right there. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, look, somebody who's, we call it Hashgacha Prati, divine providence. Divine providence could be looked at as like just in general, God's controlling things. But if you're a Hasid, like like I am, someone, uh, like we mentioned, follower of the Bal Shem Tov and the Hasidic path, is divine providence applies to the leaf that falls in your path as you walk, the ripple of the waves in the ocean. Every aspect of reality uh, is happening for a reason. And when you think that way, It really changes everything because, you know, a lot of people feel that if, uh, someone gets more religious, they'll get closed off to science, to, uh, humanities. And for me, it's the opposite because once I came to the conclusion and the feeling that, uh, there's a divine fingerprint to everything that gave everything, meaning every stranger that I meet, every, uh, blade of grass that I see moving, I can learn something from everything and everyone
1: and no moment becomes mundane. No ordinary moments. One of my favorite books, The Way of the Peaceful Warrior. That's the big takeaway at the end, is there are no ordinary moments. And that's that that to me is what I, I feel as well, living with Divine Providence. And it really does. And and why I love, as I've reconnected with Judaism, why I love it is because that's the whole purpose of it. Is it's it's to bring that divinity, that that awareness, that consciousness, that God consciousness to everything through your presence through your intention the prayer for everything like when you when you were going to the bathroom when you first came here into the door like you said the prayer after that's it's it's bringing awareness and consciousness and intention to everything throughout the day and there's and there's something for it from the from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep right the, the, the other, absolutely,
0: um, you know, King David said in one of his songs, I actually have a, a scribe from Jerusalem who asked me, is there any verse that you would like me to write? Maybe you'll share it on, on Instagram. It goes by the Jerusalem scribe. He's great. And I asked him, one of the two was this line, that I am prayer. What I love about that is King David's saying, I don't pray three times a day and then move on with my life. is that my whole life is, I want it to be everything that I do from how I eat, how I drink, how I talk to people, will be in a way of prayer which means in a way of elevating that moment to God. That's what that 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 is the the whole my whole life experience according to King David. And um you know you were saying about how it you know every moment is precious. I I um I think the other day it was like a Friday and before Shabbat comes in, the Jewish Sabbath is Friday evening till Saturday night. And I like to prepare at least even if it means just putting on let's say a, a song that i like or something that will get me in the mood not just to rush into it and friday's can get hectic so i think i was playing like a song that i like and uh um my mom was there and she said she overheard it she's like you're so intentional she just said it and i, I was I, and i was thinking about it and i think that's the perfect word to describe um you know Judaism's intention funny enough yeah, <laughs> is that is to make everything intentional. To to approach everything you do with, um, with the intention to elevate it in some way. And look, you could look at that as a bit intense, or it gives meaning to everything, which I like.
1: I, I no dull moments or no ordinary moments, like you said. Absolutely, really beautiful Shabbat. Tell me about Shabbat. Tell me about the the ritual of Shabbat. It's something that I will love to share more about as well of how I've reconnected with Shabbat. Mm. But tell me about the ritual to Shabbat. Yeah,
0: you know the Talmud asks. They asked one of the sages. Asked uh, the other one, "What what was your father Zahir Tve? like? What was your father more scrupulous about in Judaism? Why? Because there's certain there's many mitzvot and many aspects to it. But the one that you feel called to the most might have a special connection to your soul of all the 613 commandments. And for me, I think Shabbat's one of those something that really like of all the things in Judaism. One of the things that calls to me and I think calls to all of us uh, in in a special way and. One way to look at it is, why do we even have seven days in a week? You know, a month is based on the lunar, uh, on the moon, the phases of the moon. The year is based on the the spinning of the sun and the earth. But a week is arbitrary. The fact that we have a week being seven days is is a Torah-connected idea that's made its way into society. And God said, I want you to work. Six days you shall work. Hustle. Elevate the world get involved, get your hands dirty, like be creative, get- Grind re- mode, go grind into grind all mode. all the way. I yeah. think I think our people and all people, but our people definitely take that seriously. However, uh th- you need a day that is, that you, you step back from it all. And you would think you would need that maybe once a month, like a vacation day. No, God said, I need you to do that once a week. You're gonna need that day to unplug. And this was way before social media and, yeah. and, and things. Yeah, now we need to see how vital it is. Uh, and- you know, Kabbalah connects the doing masculine energy, the idea of doing, and to be a state of being is a feminine energy. It doesn't mean man or woman because we each of us have masculine and feminine energy, but it's this, uh, it's rooted in the, in the seven emotional spherots in the, in the Kabbalist of the tree of life, this idea of the sixth and the seventh and how they both need each other. Uh, and that's why if you ever notice on Friday night prayers, if you're in the synagogue and you pray Lechadodi, at the end of Lechadodi you turn around, boi kala, welcome to the bride. Again, this is why to, 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 um, to learn something and then kind of pull it from its physical analogy, when you read that prayer, it's saying, I welcome the bride you turn to the west after facing the east. And the idea is, spiritually, you're welcoming in this feminine presence into the world. That's what Shabbat represents. Shabbat is malchut. It is the shechina. It is the divine presence in the world, not the transcendent presence of God that's above. It is the indwelling presence that gives life to all the worlds. And for me, Shabbat is a time to just be. Uh, Sounds simple enough, but I find it very hard during the week. I have Shabbat moments where maybe I'm able to kind of zone in or 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 pull back, maybe meditate or do something prayer where I feel like it's an oasis in time. But Shabbat is that oasis in 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 um in time in a big way that I think helps us reconnect to who we are, connects us to our relationships with our loved ones. And, you know, like a sculptor or like an artist, that the only way you're gonna complete the piece best is if you take a moment from your from your uh, maniacal work on it to pull back and look at the direction it's going. Shabbat I think is pulling back and looking at your life and saying is this am I going full speed ahead in the direction that I want to go? Because if I'm not, it doesn't help that I'm that I'm going so hard if it's not the way I want to be? How can I tweak it? Or how can I take a bird's eye view and and look back and look at Shabbat in a way that, and look at my life in a way that uh, will give inspiration to the next six days? And it really plays on each other that, that the Shabbat blesses the week and the week that you had blesses the Shabbat. Just like you can only eat on Shabbat what you bought during the week, the idea spiritually is you can only benefit from the work you've done in that week. It's not that enjoyable to rest on the seventh day when you've rested the other six. You know, there's that that interplay that happens. And this was very, um, uh, broad perspective. The actual Shabbat experience is a whole nother, um, deal, the the meals we have and the, the prayers we have and everything. But to me, that's the essence kind of of what, how I look at Shabbat
1: makes so much sense. And for me, it's been really powerful. And I've, I've started observing Shabbat and what that means. And I'd love to hear how you observe Shabbat and how other people that you see observe Shabbat as well. But for me, observing Shabbat is I do um, a digital detox for 24 hours. The Sabbath rolls in Friday evening and it's sunset Friday. I unplug my fr- A lot of my friends really don't like this because they try to get in touch with me and I'm just off the grid. But um, but it's so good at the very least. Uh, the, well, the way I started was just doing a social media detox. OK, I'm on Instagram every day for the week. Like, let me do one day without Facebook or social media or work stuff. And then it just expanded and expanded to being like, cool, my phone's going to be off from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. I'm not going to work. I'm not going to tune in. I'm going to be focused on being present, refueling, resting, being present with myself and the people around me, learning, reading, filling up with these fulfilling conversations, philosophical talks, these different things, connecting with nature in these different ways. And I'll tell you, man, it's been It's been probably when people ask me about productivity or routine or achievement, it's single handedly been one of the most powerful things that I've adopted in my life. And I'm so happy that I did when I did because it will always be part of my life. When I take that full day to unplug and take a step back from everything like you're describing here, Sunday morning rolls around. I am ready to roll and I am so productive and it just, it just tails into Monday and it eliminates the Sunday scaries. For those of you that might experience the Sunday scaries, you know, a lot of people do it, it just, it, it totally gives me that fuel that I need. And then it gives me, I I look forward to the, to, to Shabbat and to the weekend in, in such a, in such a beautiful way. Mm, I love that.
0: It's uh you know, there's an interesting question asked that whenever we have a holy occasion, we bless it with wine. A wedding, um, Friday night for Shabbat or any holiday, we bless it on wine. Why is so, that? By the way, good question. I think one answer I like about wine is that wine is one of the few, or if not one of the only things in on planet Earth that is physical that that gets better over time. That ages better. Most our bodies, most things uh, weaken over time, but but the wine, when treated right, is is better as it ages. And spirituality is like that. Wisdom is like that. All the things that are really meaningful uh, are not affected by time. They actually get better over time. They get stronger over time. So wine kind of represents that that that. deeper reality. Um, And the idea that it's squeezed from inside the grape, like to look deeper within things to see the the, the true essence of something. Um, So the question is asked, why Saturday night? when Shabbat ends, when the holiness of Shabbat ends, the extra soul that we're granted or aspect of our being that we believe we get on Shabbat goes away. And it's like almost like, a, it's a sad moment. It's uh, it's uh, the time where Adam and Eve were like banished from the garden. It represents ending Shabbat could feel, and I used to feel like this a lot, especially when I was living in Jerusalem, I was in the fully immersed in Shabbat, and then it ended, I felt like a real down. And, and um, so why would we, the Havdalah ceremony, where we separate from Shabbat to the week, we also bless it with wine? Question is, why? If you're descending, you shouldn't be blessing it with wine. And the idea is that you're not descending, that really you're, like you just said, I'm taking what I've experienced now and I'm going to make this week in a way that's going to lead to a better Shabbat next week. It's always that ascension, always growth. I, I think life is not an equal. A, 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 a flat surface that we're walking on and if i do if i do well today and I, I grow um and learn more and grow spiritually i will continue on that surface i feel like it's like a it's kind of a downer it's an escalator that's slowly taking you down and if you don't if you're not proactive about filling yourself up with what you need to uh to to inspire yourself and to remind yourself of your mission you will slowly notice how you're not feeling great it's not like you're feeling even, like if you're not being proactive, I feel like, except for there's some chipper um, people that are just always positive. I think for a lot of us, um, we need those like intentional reminders and experiences that are kind of keeping us focused and keeping us growing every day to
1: reach our best. Yeah. Random question that just came to me: Why the beard? <laughs> oh, the beard! You've got a nice beard going oh, yeah, the too. Beard brother. is coming in. the The rabbi church beard is coming well, in. Well, <laughs>
0: you should know. According to the the Zohar, it says that the blessing comes to the man through the beard. So, really, you might have to keep it. I, I still think you can get blessing. Maybe <laughs> yeah. if it's like super. Uh, um. So, so the basic answer is that the in the Torah itself it says, "Do not cut the five places of the face. Do not cut the corners of your face." Which you know, a lot of Jews will leave the sideburns going until that bone in the middle next to the ear. Uh, and as you grow older, you we keep the beard as well because we don't want to cut any of the places. Now, great sages said you could if you do not. Um, there's a difference between an electric razor and a regular razor. If you use, let's say, an electric one and you don't cut too deep into the skin, you leave just a minute amount. That's fine. Just don't destroy it completely. So you'll see a lot of religious Jews without beards. But mystically, there's a lot of uh, there's an idea of keeping the beard and. Um, I've had it for about 15, 16 years and it hasn't grown down to my knees. It stayed decently, uh, short and, um, I almost forget about it. It doesn't bother me. I don't really think about it too much, but, um, it is something that, uh, is, I would say a little more for me, uh, a a belief system that from what I've heard in the deeper writings that it's something to, uh, um, to have.
1: Yeah. It's cool. It's like there's this like there's this like wise old wizardry feel <laughs> with it almost, if you will. If you want to think about something, you can yeah. play with your beard. It definitely, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's cool. I, that was just a random question as I'm as I'm listening totally, to you speaking. Totally, man. Uh, Jerusalem, that place. Those vibes are insane. There, huh? Like you can tangibly feel the the vibes in Jerusalem. Tell me about Jerusalem. Oh man, nothing like Jerusalem.
0: I recommend everybody visiting and. You know, they say there's four holy cities of Israel. The whole land is supposed to be holy, but there's four that correspond to the four elements. Tzfat in the north, which is my favorite, is air. It's very airy. It's up in the mountains. It's very, you feel like you're. We just talked about Shabbat. There was a rabbi Menachem Mendel Vitebs. He said a weekday in Tzfat is like a Shabbat anywhere else. So, special place. Tiberias, which is right next to its spot, but all the way at the bottom is, is like water. Uh, Hebron, Hebron, which is where the patriarchs and the matriarchs are buried, is earth. And Jerusalem is fire. And I find it interesting that Jerusalem is fire because it really feels that way. It's very passionate. It's very intense. Uh, you feel like um, you know, Jerusalem in Hebrew, Yerushalayim, is Yirah Shalem, which means total, like awareness or awe. It's a feeling like you can't just walk to the Western Wall or Jerusalem and not feel like there's something more going on in this world. Uh, when I was 13, for my bar mitzvah, my parents took me there, and I saw my dad cry in the middle of the day, out of nowhere. And I remember being confused. I'm like, did somebody? Did something bad happen? Did we hear about? It just it brings out in you uh, something. Something you can't really, I think, describe in words.
1: Very powerful place. And um, how about you, man? what's, yeah. what's your experience it's been? Yeah, interesting. Th- exactly that. When I was, uh, this memory comes to mind. When I went, t- I went on a birthright trip um, to Israel with um, two of my best friends, Chad and Danny. And we, you know, the whole kind of Jerusalem is like the climax of the trip of the, the busy 10, the busiest 10 days of your life. You're all over the place. And we were up in spot. We were all over. Spot was really, really cool. There was definitely that like mystical energy, that feel to it that I really, really loved. Um, it felt like, yeah, it felt like Avatar, you know, Air Nation, like you're in the air temple of Avatar, air, you know, the last airbender. And when we got to Jerusalem, we all, you know, we went up to the, we all went up to the wall. So we were. The three of us were standing there and we all went up separately to to the to the western wall and you know, closed our eyes, said a prayer. I think we might have wrapped a fill in, but we closed our eyes, said a prayer. And and I just remember like as I was approaching the wall, it was just like the chills just electrified within me. And and I and I feel right now, even as I'm just describing this, and I, you know, put my put my hand on the wall and just felt this like. This just rush, right? And this just m- m- a movement of emotion within me. And after, you know, a minute, couple minutes, whatever, at the wall, you know, I turned back. I moved to tears. I moved to tears of emotion. And the craziest thing was turning around and Chad and Danny, who were also in their own private prayer, we all turn around at the same time. And all three of us were crying. Mm. And it was just this beautiful moment to share together of being moved to emotion by this physical place, and I think it loops back to what we were talking about earlier when you're in better buzz or the, the space that brings this out, and you are bringing this intention to the space. And wh- why do you think why do you think that is? Why do you think that there is the supercharged electricity in Jerusalem, specifically the Western Wall?
0: Yeah. So I so so Kabbalah describes how everything in reality can be divided into Olam Shana Nefesh, which means space, time, and spirit or soul. So there can be a moment like I had um, where I felt a spiritual experience at 16. That's me happening. Um, there can be a time, like it could be a Shabbat or Yom Kippur, for the, somebody walks in for the first time in the year and they feel something out of nowhere because of the sanctity and specialness of the time. And then you can have holiness of place, that there's an idea that certain spaces um, have a more powerful feeling of God's presence. Uh, the Talmud says that the Shekhinah never left the Western Wall. That 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 place won't be destroyed, and that's a place that God's presence never leaves. We say God's presence. God is everywhere, but there's an idea that um, that what we were talking earlier about the feminine presence. The feminine means the ability to feel that tangibly here, to that it be more revealed to us. It's very nice that if God's energy is everywhere, but if I don't feel it, if I'm not aware of it, that's where the feminine presence comes. And certain places have that more than others. And we believe Jerusalem is one of those places where um, it just is. That is a a place where God calls home, so to speak. Um, And... I think, you know, it's interesting, like, like back in the day, the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, who was the holiest person on Yom Kippur, the holiest time, would go into the Holy of Holies on top of the, uh, where the Western Wall is, but where the Dome of the Rock is on that top, he would go there and bring incense, and it was the idea of, like, all the Jewish people were, like, rooting for him, they were all there, and it was kind of like all three together at once, Mm. and the more we can get all three together to be in special places at special times um, and 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 elevate ourselves for the moment, the more powerful things get. But sometimes
1: you just need one. One of the three is enough. Totally. It's the, this alignment of those things that just creates this tangible feel. And then I think that all of the millions of people that go visit this, this historic place are bringing that energy too. And they're feeling that and they're contributing, like pouring into this vibrational cup, if you will. So I think you feel that, like you can feel all of the prayers that go into this wall, into this, into this, into this holy wall, into this sacred site that you can actually tangibly feel. It's Absolutely. So cool.
0: and, and when I pray there like Friday nights, when I'm standing at the wall, I look backwards and I imagine how the whole world, because we know that the rule in Judaism, when you pray, you're supposed to face Jerusalem. So if you're in China, you face West. If you're in, you know, France, you face East or America, you face East. Um, so I kind of imagine how everyone's intention is facing me right now. They're all aiming towards this, this place. That's cool. Um, and you know, you might ask, why would you aim towards Jerusalem if God is everywhere? Kind of based on what we were talking about a second ago. And the analogy I love is the idea of the face that if someone's soul is in their whole body, like, I can't say you're more in your, you know, hand or face. Sorry, I can't say you're more in your face than in your legs or your arm, but yet I speak to your face. And the reason I do that is because that's where it's most revealed and felt. I can get a glimpse of how you're feeling inside more in your face than I can from your, from your foot. And the idea is that we aim towards the place in the world where, where, where God is most apparent and felt.
1: Um, and and I think Jerusalem is that kind of that that feeling. It, it makes sense because I mean the three major monotheistic religions of the world all stem from and come from that place right there in Jerusalem, right? It's crazy! It's a it's a total obsession with that with that space. It's wild. This little tiny space, unbelievable.
0: Yeah, yeah. It really, really, really is. And even within Judaism, everything happened there, like. Every story you're reading about, the idea that Jacob like slept and put stones around his head and he had a dream of a ladder. Abraham brought Isaac up as a sacrifice. Um, everything is that space. We believe that's where Adam um, was kind of formed, that God took from the earth and and brought together and formed a man. So um, yeah. And King David bought it outright. I don't wanna get political, but uh, King David is one of the few places. What's interesting to me is the most disputed territory today are places that were clearly bought with money and purchased in the 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 Torah accounts, so King David paid money to buy that spot to have. So it's interesting. It's very uh, yeah.
1: And and I know I saw you recently. You were on a podcast with what was it? Was it Pharaoh? Who was what, what was this young t- Pharaoh? Was, young Pharaoh. I what didn't was, know much about him before it happened. It, yeah. So who is Young Pharaoh, and what was that experience like? There wow. was hundreds of thousands of people streaming this. Right. It was wild. It was a debate. It was so. It? So it all started with uh,
0: Nick Cannon, who uh, many of us know. He. Uh, he hosted. Uh, he's hosted a lot of big shows, and um, he had a guest on uh, who I think was Professor McGriff, who was part of Public Enemy, who in the late 1980s said a lot of negative things about Jews, very much connected to uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan of the Nation of Islam, who blamed uh, the Jewish people for a lot of a lot of issues in the world, and there was a lot of pushback on Nick Cannon for that, and instead of he he apologized, but others in the uh, you know, people like um Deshaun Jackson also, I think Deshaun Jackson's issue came maybe f- before Nick Cannon. He uh quoted something from Minister Farrakhan about the Jewish people as well. And um there were there were many others coming out. And, you know, I I, I think I commented just on the Nick Cannon thing, you know, I just commented my thoughts. And someone said, Oh, this guy, um uh, Pharaoh wants to debate a rabbi about um, the validity of Judaism. And I was like, okay, more dialogue is better, naively, thinking that, uh, you know, conversation can only be better, can only improve things, but I do believe generally. Um, a day or two before, a few days before, I looked up this guy's, you know, YouTube channel, and it is like every conspiracy theory under the sun about white people and about Jews. And I started learning about Afrocentrism, the idea, it's almost, it's kind of like a reverse racism that, that yeah. white people are inferior. And... Um, I had to go deep. And what was interesting to me was this. The whole quarantine, I, I had to stop a lot of my events, my outreach work in the community. And I went back to what I had my original love, which was just learning a lot and learning like a lot of Jewish mysticism and Kabbalah and things that were even more esoteric and detached. So here I am detached from the world, physically and socially. And in what I'm learning and what I'm thinking about is detaching me from the physical world. I'm thinking about the cosmos and deep, deeper, deeper things than ever before and i'm like you know what maybe this is maybe i need to do a hiatus maybe i need when this is all over go to tsvot like we talked about and spend time just growing spiritually and then i can give back to the community better what happens next i get dragged into a debate which was so in the mud so to speak so you know, I had to study conspiracy theories and study what could come at me. I had to learn about these ideas that were pretty hateful in my eyes, and I think it was God's message to me saying, "I need you to fulfill certain things in this world that you might not want to do, or you're not, you know, you want to take the easy path out. I'm not only going to show you I need you. I'm going to put you in like because that's not what I want to get into. I, I'd much rather get into talking about, you know, life and and how we can get better. Not <laughs> Not defending my right to exist as a, as a human being and as a Jew, but. I'm glad I did it. And what was another thing I learned from it, I think is beneficial to share is that as much as I prepared intellectually for that three hour debate, um, afterwards, all the positive messages I received, almost none of them talked about what I said. I mean, you know, it definitely helped that I was able to articulate and hold my own, but the message I got was, um, thank you for being respectful and for listening and how I came across was far more important. How we make people feel when we talk to them is far more important than what we actually say, which is crucial in this climate we're in now, where people will shout each other down on social media or or in person even regarding their political belief. If you want someone to understand a different perspective, if you even care about that, if you do care about that, it will. it's much easier for that to happen if you articulate it in a way that's respectful. If you listen to the other point of view and then you explain what you believe in in a way that they can um, take in and that it shows that you're talking to another human being. And I don't think we do that enough. And you're just losing out. It's just missing out on a chance to influence people to what you want them to uh, to
1: understand. So it's a lose-lose. How relevant for today when we're recording this on on election day, <laughs> or the day after election day, I should say. But well, it um, looks like gonna be an election week. Election it looks like. election yeah. weeks, yeah, no doubt. Um, how does your how does your faith or belief? How does that steer you through challenges that might come? Like, how do you lean on that? Because I'm a firm believer in this as well. And and I've always feel like you've got to like having something to believe in some sort of higher power, some sort of greater purpose, call it God, the universe, Mother Earth, whatever it is, right? How does having that faith like how has that helped you in your life? And how does that change your relationship with when challenges come?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. And it, it's it's vital for me. Um, I suffered from a lot of anxiety throughout my life. Um. And I think many of us do, but maybe maybe I a bit more. And um, having this belief system really helps me a lot in a lot of ways from little to, to, to big from turbulence on a plane flight to how I look at this election and how I look at the world I I my ability to recognize that I'm not even controlling my heartbeat right now. I'm not controlling the fact that I'm involuntarily breathing right now. I believe that the that the same being that is, helping me exist and be born and live, has faith in me to overcome challenges. And even when I don't overcome those challenges and I seem to fail and falter, we'll have my back then too. So, you know, I know that uh, we, we both have an interest, you more than I, in uh, in cold water experiences, in in plunges and in using that for for mental strength and for other reasons. And recently, I you know in Hasidic in, in Judaism, women use the mikveh once a month as part of uh, connected to uh, intimacy and um, and and when people convert to Judaism, I have no doubt baptism and Christianity is connected to that. But when when people convert to Judaism throughout history, you had to immerse in a body of water as well. And in the mystical um, world in Judaism, there's an idea for even men to do it. Before special occasions and even every day, to immerse in water, to prepare yourself, um, to almost to be born to, to be born for a new moment, to, to look at this as a fresh moment. And I don't like the cold. I mean, I, I you know for me it's difficult. And recently I dipped in a pool, a cold pool of water, almost before evening. And usually I'll kind of do a quick like go in like just. I'm going to go beyond my intellect. And I'm just going to jump in. And recently, I went in and I'm like, you know what? Don't underestimate yourself. Like, like you're much stronger than you think, and and you're in the image of God. And God is a all-powerful being, which means you know you have capabilities to do incredible things if you believe. And uh, and even though it was a minor thing, like like water, I, I it really gave me strength to do that and to go in without overly dramatizing it, and to just continue to recognize that um, that there's a plan. There's a plan for me and everything I do. I have the strength to nothing. You know, there's an idea that no challenge is put your way that God doesn't believe you have the ability to handle. It's not haphazard. So those who have a lot of challenges in their life means you have broad shoulders, means God's given you immense spiritual capabilities. And that includes temptations and things that are challenging in the negative path. That means you've been given a soul that has really strong abilities to go in the positive path as well. And uh I, I just think that um my my trust and my belief in this infinite divine being um really influences everything I do, gives meaning to everything I do and, and gives me a courage in moments where I where I feel like I may falter. Really influences everything.
1: Really does. <laughs> really does. That's beautiful. What would you say the biggest misconception about Judaism that people have that you've seen from your experience? Like, what's the biggest misconception, either from from Jewish people or non-Jewish people? What do you think the biggest misconception is about Judaism? I don't know if this is the biggest misconception, but for me, it's what, like, calls to me the most. Yeah.
0: And we've kind of touched on it a little bit in this conversation, is that Judaism is, like, you know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful cultural uh, experience with different, you know, customs and food and stuff like that. But it's not like a a radical, uh, esoteric, powerful spiritual way of life like you would find in, let's say, the Far East or in in Buddhism and in other places. It's 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 a practical, um, you know, way to kind of elevate your life and bring meaning to it. And for me, it's not. For me, it is radical. For me, when we talk about Abraham, the first Jew, you're talking about somebody who um, who was an expert and, a, and very advanced in in mysticism and in knowledge and in wisdom. And he looked at the world and he said, I can't imagine that this universe doesn't have an imprint from something higher. And it led to God speaking to him. And it was this, it's an amazing, like, I think it's really cool to look at these, especially for someone like me who grew up learning about this. So it's almost like not new to talk about a King David or an Abraham. It's like, it's like almost our fathers are like, is to step back as an adult and look at these human beings who, you know, King David was somebody who his whole life was, was hounded by enemies and who was scorned by his brothers and who was, honestly, I, I think I'm going to make a a video on this, but when I look at um, Game of Thrones or Lord of the Rings or these, these hero's journey stories, it mirrors King David so much that I, I have no doubt that the authors and the, the, uh, the filmmakers understood these stories because, you know, the, the journey that the these people went through and discovered and to me it's so um awe inspiring when i read about you know the sages of old we think of these like sweet rabbis and sages but they really you know they went to to death in the holocaust trying to keep this tradition in the face of those that would singing going to the gas chambers like i feel like there's something so um powerful in um, in Judaism and, and deep that I think it could get easily overlooked in our 2020 Bagels and Locks, Larry David, Jerry Seinfeld, kind of who I love, um, Judaism that um, I think is a shame. And uh, there, there's, there, the meaning of life is addressed in, in an immense way in Judaism is what I would say. It's not um, just challah and wine, which is good, but it's much more enjoyable and
1: meaningful when you understand the reasons behind everything. Big time. And for me, I always felt like, I always felt like spirituality was like, if there was a fork in the road, spirituality was like the left going to the left and Judaism was going to the right. And it was like two separate paths. That's just the way that I felt when I started waking up, if you will, to this idea of spirituality or tapping in. I was like, well, this can't be Judaism. This can't be sitting in a synagogue all day or listening to this old book or, you know, this irrelevant stuff. But the more that I've taken the time to learn, the more I've seen these paths are intertwined. And it's so fascinating because we were talking earlier about the layer. Like if you look at it from bottom
0: up, you see the layers that are placed over the spiritual reality and, and the customs that we do. And if you don't go further than that, you get stuck on the outer manifestation. If you look from top down and you connect up and realize that all of these physical things we're doing and customs we're doing is to draw down the highest things into our daily lives in a in that way, It, it changes it. And, um, There was a a big sage in Israel in the early 1900s, Rabbi Cook, Rav Cook. He was the kind of founder of religious Zionism and he, uh, modern religious Zionism, and he said that the atheism of our time was positive. And everyone's like, what do you mean? Atheism was positive for a rabbi to say? He says, now we can reset the immature way of looking at God and at religion. And we can cut that out and recognize that like when i look at like someone like a you know like an albert einstein who i read i read he said the greatest emotion we can have is the mystical emotion now this is a scientist this is somebody he he's saying the, the ability to, to wonder to to look at the world and 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 probe it and to understand to look into understanding the mysteries of of the universe like that's much closer to what i think what abraham was doing than you know living in a you're living in a village in eastern europe and and doing something out of rote because um that's what you've been told to do and you kind of lose the the excitement for it i think well i, I think they both go together and and
1: um and it's pretty cool that you're and, – and, and from what I understand with what your mission is here is to bring us back to that. Like I totally see that. The first – when you look at Abraham as the first Jew or you look at how this how this was all born, it was born from this – place of awe and, and wonder. And thank you. Like, thank you. I was just, I was just spending some time in the desert learning from different tribes and, and different cultures. And the, it's the same thing. It's like, everything is a prayer. Thank you. Thank you is the best prayer. Thank you. You go to the bathroom, say thank you. And there's something that feels so intimate about that. And that's where this was all born to. So what I, what I love what you're doing here through the experiences, how can we connect back to that and bring the meaning back to what might feel like just wrote, you know, the dogma of like, do this, 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 and this. How can we reconnect and bring meaning back to that and to everything that we do on our day-to-day basis? Love that. And and there's
0: wisdom amongst all peoples and and the fact that you're able to learn it, you know, Ethics of Our Fathers, chapter four, number one says, who is wise? not an all-knowing person, but somebody who learns from everyone, to find those lessons. And, and the sages used to interact with the, with the Roman aristocratic, uh, aristocrats and people from the East, and there was an exchange of ideas that was really um, beautiful. Um, and gratitude is clearly the foundational idea. Like, when we wake up in the morning, the first prayer we say is Mode ani, which literally, is it's thank you, but it really means I admit, I acknowledge. So I, I think gratitude is the acknowledging of that this wasn't all done by me, that there's, that I'm, you know, think about anything in life. You know, a model, a supermodel that has ego is ridiculous or an athlete that has ego is ridiculous because how much of what you have did you create or did you manifest? Yes, you had to work hard on your craft. An athlete has to shoot a lot of free throws and everything, but that God-given ability is something that um, that you just acknowledge. It's a humility, you have. and I think it's a beautiful thing we see in culture when someone, let's say, wins it all and yet is like humble. That that dual thing where he hustled and worked on his craft and could easily take credit for it, and is that thing, is able to say, you know what, it's really not all me. Um, I find that kind of dance, that marriage is like. That's the ultimate human potential. We we work as hard as we can to manif- to to actualize our gifts, and at the same time, we don't take credit for all of it Mm. um beautiful too often it's the opposite we don't
1: we don't we don't work too hard and we also kind of think we're for all that yeah why do you think that now more than ever or do you think now more than ever and if so why do you think now more than ever religion and connecting to this is important
0: I think that we live in a very um, awesome time, you know, physically, materially, abundance wise. I mean, you know they say the poorest person in America today has certain uh, luxuries that a king of Europe didn't have a few hundred years ago. the ability to turn on a hot shower at a moment's notice and not have to you know take time to heat up the water for your bathtub. And so many things we have, we have what we need now more than ever before in history. But in a way, we're furthest away we've ever been in being in touch with um, with what really matters, and with spirituality and with with um, connection to to deeper values. I think that you know the ability to go on Instagram in a moment's notice and to see you know um, celebrities and people that show us on the outside. Um, what success is supposed to be, and how we're meant to look, and so many young people are trying to, you know, imitate that, and without seeing the truth of what you know. I, t- I work with teenagers as well, and I tell them, you know, an Instagram picture if somebody posts once a week, is one second glimpse, a f- one second filtered glimpse out of. Uh, 604,800 seconds in a week so you're getting a fake moments glimpse of that person's life a it wasn't Probably they weren't as happy as they look in that experience number two is That you don't see the rest of their life that goes together with that and uh, I was watching a bit of Justin Bieber's YouTube um, Testimonials that he's been doing in the last few months and he shows it more than anyone else like he's barely surviving He's he's the most adored person uh, Amongst a lot of people in America and he felt like totally not nothing there so I think our generation desperately needs that um, that connection to something deeper, that understanding that the physical world and material bounty is not going to fill and solve uh, my happiness. You know, the Lubavitcher Rebbe said that uh, man can only truly be happy if he nourishes his soul just as much as he nourishes his body. So, just like we get hungry, our soul thirsts and gets hungry for for that wisdom, for that goodness, for that um, that spiritual nourishment. And when we don't feed it, it, we don't translate that hunger into needing it. We just feel this existential like either anxiety or dullness or whatever it is. And we turn to drugs or we turn to quick fixes because that's all we have that we can grab onto with our hands to fix this ache or this feeling that I have inside. And I think, um, you know, in this age of excess, we're recognizing more than ever and i think it's going to make a turnaround like the 1960s was a time when people understood that like the 50s and materialism wasn't going to solve our happiness um i think the 1990s and the 2000s and that great time we had economically i think we might come back around and uh you know i remember when i was at the coachella shabbat tent and and the tent next to me i was sitting with the guy And he was, uh, I think within the span of like two hours or three hours, he did more drugs than I will ever do in my entire lifetime. Every kind you can imagine. And I looked at him and I was like, kind of like, um, well, I was saying pace yourself, et cetera. But I was kind of thinking like, why? Like escapism or trying to, what are you trying to, um, if you're trying to find happiness, or you're trying to find meaning. You know, my mother would always say growing up, she said, happiness is a byproduct of living a meaningful life. A lot of us treat happiness as a destination, a goal. I will get to that place. It's like, there's no place. There's no place of happiness. It's not Bora Bora. Like, happiness is you living your life true to your personal mission and your values, moving slowly, progressing towards that, in that direction, and it's a quiet feeling of contentment in that direction. It's, it's what's left when the party's over. It's not dancing at 3 a.m. any bees on that could be exciting and like and all of that. But happiness is, you know, is waking up the next day knowing that you are, you've been true to yourself. And I think that's very hard to find those, that direction um today without the help of some some age-old um, divine wisdom.
1: Agree. Couldn't agree more. And what happens when from my experiences when you crave that wisdom, you crave that on a soul level, it influences the body. And, you know, the anxiety comes from that as well. Depression can come from that as well. It's so interconnected with our mind body and our, and our, with our physical body and our soul body that that can manifest in that, that hunger manifests in different problems and dis- disease that we see a lot today. So I mm. I very, very much agree with you. Um this, this this is beautiful. I would keep picking your brain all day. Um in as we wrap up here, what first off, how can people find you? Um I'm guessing Instagram, website, that thing. You have a book, right? Yeah, I got, I got a nickname Millennial Rabbi a
0: few years ago from uh from one of the parents of a kid I was working with. He said you're very like for this generation and and for me it represents kind of embracing technology and embracing the mediums we have. So, millennialrabbi.com or at Millennial Rabbi, you will find me on all platforms uh, that way. And uh, I do have a book called Beneath the Surface How We Can Take All We've Been Talking About and Really Probe These Ideas uh, Deeper and Bring Them
1: into Our Lives. So have that as well. And uh, that's great. And how would you encourage people that are um, interested in, like, this might have inspired something? They're interested in taking maybe another step with that. Is it reading the book, maybe connecting with you on social media? There are other things that you might offer? I I think we live in an amazing time of so much abundance
0: uh, at our fingertips of yeah. uh, being able to learn from. So if anybody wants to message me DM me uh, you know, and I can r- uh, suggest different uh, books and different podcasts and different things to listen to. I think my book is a good introduction to all of these ideas. It was really focused on our generation and really short ideas that we can relate to easily um and uh it's all about that thirst and that desire to learn and there really is a lot out there um to discover and i'm happy in any way to to direct you and it's all
1: there's a lot for free also at our at our fingertips so awesome rabbi dan thank you my friend great to chat brother always a pleasure Thank you, Joshua.
0: It's uh, it's always great to to speak with you, and uh, thank you for for your friendship over the years.
1: Really appreciate it. Always, man.